attention to the love of God and to what he has spoken to us in his word. All right, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, and that's on page 939 on the Bibles around the room. And when I'm finished reading, I'm going to say this is the reading of God's word, and you're going to respond, thanks be to God. So starting in verse 18, chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to be debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteousness decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you reveal yourself today through this text. We pray that you open our ears and our hearts, and we ask you to lift up Pastor Shea as he preaches today and give him the words you need him to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Shelby. Yeah, you guys go ahead and be seated for me. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good, good. Uh, again, my name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. Before we get started, I want us to take uh, a quick moment just to um, rest in the fact or, or really get, get our hearts ready for hearing from God. Let's take a moment. God, be here in the midst of your people. Offer up your word for our for our relationship with you, God. Draw us near to you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Man, so before we get uh, too far into the sermon, uh, I say this every time I get up here, right? I tell you guys I'm from the South, right? Y'all heard me say that before. Um, and I say about how uh, y'all don't need to be shy. Uh, matter of fact, I release you from the bondage of being the frozen chosen. You can amen me all day long. Amen. amen. Um, I would normally say that, but this time I'm going to do a little bit different, okay? 
I'm actually gonna give us a verse to kind of chew through for a quick, for a quick second. It comes from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and it says, and let us consider how to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Let's consider how to spur one another on. Here's the thing. Today's passage is gonna be tough. And I'm gonna be spurring you on to love and good deeds. And the way you guys can spur me on so that we're spurring each other on is for y'all to let me know that the Holy Spirit is working within you, amen? Amen. And that's what that word literally means. It means the Holy Spirit is working within me, and I agree. That's what that word means. So I release you from your bondage. Don't, don't come dancing up the aisles. That's not what I'm saying. But I release you from sitting on your hands. That's, that's all I'm saying. Because what we're going to be talking about today is going to be rough. We are talking about the wrath of God. And that's really the, the, the hook of my sermon today. The, the baseline of what I'm going to be talking about is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We love talking about wrath in our culture, if I'm being honest, right? We love talking about wrath. Matter of fact, last night, I'm sure some of you uh, know two guys got into a boxing ring, uh, Conor McGregor and uh, what is his name, Mayweather. They, they got into about, after months of talking trash to each other, months of just calling each other names and doing all kinds of stuff, they got in the ring and just duked it out, right? We love it. People spent millions of dollars watching that fight. Even, even you who, like, spent that three-hour delay and were like, oh, man, I'm upset. Your wrath was coming out. Like, we love wrath, right? People bet on that, bet on that match. Like, we spent millions of dollars just to watch two people unleash their wrath on each other. Or we love it in movies when, like, Liam Neeson, right? He gets on the phone. He's like, I have a very particular set of skills. You're like, oh, man, he's not to get it. We get jazzed. We love it. Or when, uh, what's her name? Carrie Underwood. You guys have heard that song, how she took her, her keys to the side of her boyfriend's pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved her name into his leather seats. We like, yeah, girl, get him. We love it. We love talking about wrath. But God's wrath is not like our wrath. Our wrath is, it's vengeful. It's, it's malicious. It's, it's emotional. It's vain. God's wrath is not like that. God's wrath is his, excuse me, God's wrath is his slow building revulsion towards sin. It's his deeply held hostility towards evil, his refusal to condone it, and his righteous judgment against it. That's what God's wrath is. And the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven. I'm going to say that a lot today. Hopefully it sinks into your heart. So, if you joined us last week, you know we've been, uh, we just jumped into the book of Romans. We're still in Romans chapter 1. And Romans, if you've never read the book of Romans before, it's the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the Roman church, to the church that's in Rome. And he's saying to them, I know that being a Christian in, in, a, in a secular context like Rome, because Rome was the cultural hub of that time. If, if you were in Rome, like you knew everything that was going on. Rome was just where it was at, Right? So I know, Paul said, I know your cultural context as a Christian is going to mash against Rome's cultural context. And I want to encourage you to live a Christian life in the middle of that decadence. That's what the letter of Romans is about. And there's a few terms that I want to help us kind of hash out before we get too far into it. The first one is uh, God's wrath is broken into two different, two different revelations that God has given us. First is his, his active wrath. 
we see God's act of wrath throughout the Bible, right? We see stories like Sodom and Gomorrah where God rains down fire and brimstone from heaven and then opens up the earth and swallows two whole cities. And we're like, whoa, God's upset, right? We hear the story about Noah and the flood and how God broke open the heavens and he broke up the crust of the earth and both waters mashed together and flooded the entire planet. And we say, chill out, God, whoa. God's wrath, God's act of wrath. And then we see Christ at, at the end of all things in that description about how Christ comes back and his robes are dipped in blood because he comes back with a sword just slashing people. God's act of wrath. But that's not what this passage is describing. The passage that's, uh, the wrath that's described here is God's passive wrath. And it's summed up in this four-word phrase that Paul uses three times within, within this text. It says that God gave them up. Of, of the scariest things I've ever read in the Bible is that God would just give us up to our idolatry and our sins. That should frighten us more than any fire and brimstone coming down from heaven. So that's the first one, is God's passive wrath. The next one is idolatry. When we think of the word idolatry, it usually comes with this image of people bowing down to statues and having little totems and stuff like that on their mantle. But that's not what this passage is talking about. If I were to define it for us today, it would be man's insistence to live for and about himself rather than forgotten for others. Or if I were to put it another way, it is the exchange of worshiping the living God in exchange for something else completely and totally. See, we look down on the people who worship idols and statues, but our modern obsession with wealth, fame, and power is equally as foolish and blameworthy as those people who made idols made out of wood, clay, or stone. We're all guilty. Few of us worship images, but we're all prone to put something in the place of God that he alone deserves to have in our lives. That idol may not be something that's necessarily bad. It may be actually a good thing. But the devil loves to take something that's good that God has made and warp it into something that takes your object of affection away from who God is. Because of these things, God's wrath has been revealed from heaven. That's what we're going to be looking at in our passage today. We're going to see why God's wrath has been revealed. That's my first point. How it's been revealed and see why the Bible says that we're all deserving of this wrath from God. So let's dive into that. Verse 18, and the question is, why has God's wrath been revealed? And this is going to be Paul's thesis for the rest of this chapter. Why has God's wrath been revealed? And he says this in verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you haven't been to church for a while, this is your first time visiting, maybe you've never heard about this whole Christianity thing at all. Number one, welcome. So glad you're here. We... <laughs> We're talking about the wrath of God today. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. We believe at this church that there is a God, that he is holy and mighty, and he is the creator of everything we know about reality itself. And not only is this creator God the, the maker and author of all things, but he reached down into, into dirt and with his hands formed people. And when he formed them, he said, I love them. So I'm going to make them in my image, and they're going to be good, and they're going to follow the laws that I've set up for them. That's what it means to be uh, godly. It means to be in the image of God. 
That's what it means to be righteous. It means we follow the rules and the laws that God has laid out. But man rebelled against God. And in the midst of that, we develop this, this tendency to be ungodly and unrighteous. And so if I were to define it, ungodly are things and actions that do not reflect God's character. It's just, it's just we're just not right. You guys remember that show, King of the Hill? When Frank, or Hank Hill was like, that boy ain't right. It's just, it's just something not right about us. If I were to define ungod, or excuse me, unrighteous, it would be things and actions that are against God's moral and legal standard for living. Just, just, we love breaking rules. Matter of fact, isn't that the saying about rules? Rules are made to be broken. Unrighteous. That is our description. And then this combination of ungodliness and unrighteousness, when they combine, it is what the Bible would define as sin. Every time we act in an unrighteous or rebellious state against God's design, it's sin. And then it says that the, the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, right? That's what that verse says. So it's all of us. It's not just your neighbor down the street who's trying to avoid you because you keep trying to talk to him about Jesus and he's trying to ignore you. It's not just that dude. It's not just your coworker that that hates talking to you because you bring up Jesus in every conversation. Nuh-uh. It's you. It's you. It's you. You're the ungodly one. You're the unrighteous one. God's wrath from heaven has been revealed because of your unrighteousness and your ungodliness. But how... And why do we suppress this truth? The Bible, the Bible says that we, we're suppressing this truth about God. What is that truth that the Bible is talking about? And if I were to put it really, really simply, we have suppressed the truth by ignoring God. God has revealed himself and we have completely ignored him. But why do we suppress this truth? It's because we'd rather give credit and appreciation to the created things or to ourselves rather than the creator God, who really deserves that appreciation instead. And Paul lays out that argument for the rest of this chapter and well into chapter three. So if you're going to be with us for a while, we're going to be talking about you are ungodly and you are unrighteous, because that's what the Bible says. It says that people have ignored the truth about God, about his unending existence, about his creative nature, about his eternal power, and because of that, God's wrath has been revealed from heaven against that disrespect. That truth that we've suppressed is God's general revelation. If you're taking notes and you want to go study this this term later, the general revelation of God. It's It's this theological concept that God has revealed himself just in the things that he's made, right? God's general revelation. And if I were to explain it to us, Actually, I'll read this verse for us, verse 19. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. If I were to describe God's general revelation, I'd I'd give three attributes toward it. Number one, that it's common, meaning that it can be known to everyone everywhere. It is impossible for you to look out at the cosmos and say, man, that is an awesome random accident. 
There's no way that you can peer into a microscope and say, oh, there's a whole other world down there. Well, that's crazy. That's random. It's impossible. It's what the general revelation of God is about, that God has clearly made himself known through the things he's created. The next thing is, is it's natural, right? It's observable, it's observable through the natural world, meaning that in the things that God has created through nature, we can see that there is a God. We can listen to the, to the, to the howl of a wolf, and our, and our emotions can be overcome because we know that that wolf is doing exactly what God created him to do. He's giving glory to God in his savageness. There's this uh, anonymous surgeon who once wrote in a letter, and it'll be up on the screen. He says, I'm filled with the same awe and humility when I contemplate something of what goes on in a single cell as when I contemplate the sky on a clear night. The coordination of the complex activities of the cell in a common purpose hits the scientific part of me as the best evidence for an ultimate purpose. Even science is starting to say, there has to be something else. This can't be random. The last thing that God's general revelation is, is continuous. Meaning it has gone on since the beginning of the world. And essentially what Paul is saying, you are without excuse. You know that there's a God, but you've suppressed it. Now, this revelation isn't enough to tell us who Jesus is, because we at this church believe that it is Jesus who has revealed himself from heaven and said, I am the only way to God. God's general revelation is not enough to, to identify who Jesus is, and it's definitely not enough to save us. But the argument that's laid out here is that it is sure enough enough to condemn us. You know, but you've suppressed the truth. Ultimately, when people hear this passage, the question comes up, but what about those people in the middle of Pacific Islands who've never heard of this name Jesus that you so proclaim is going to be the way that they get saved? Is God just going to condemn them to hell? Who's, who's heard that argument before? I know I have. I probably used it a couple times. But here's the thing. God, through the voice of Paul, is saying, you are without excuse, even them. There is enough evidence within my created order for them to at least come and investigate who I am. And because of that, my wrath from heaven has been revealed even against them. God's wrath has been revealed from heaven because people continue to deny God's rule. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul is making the case here that all people have a baseline knowledge about God. But in their rebellion, unrighteousness, and ungodliness, they refuse to acknowledge God as supreme above all things. We have a problem with that notion in our culture. We have a problem with the idea that someone is ruling and reigning over us. Matter of fact, in Paul's time, it would have been considered treasonous to talk bad about the king. It was, a, it was a death sentence. You couldn't talk bad about the king in this context. We don't have that problem in our culture. Matter of fact, we pay people <laughs> thousands of dollars to go and bash our leaders. 
We'll, we'll flip on the TV tonight and, and listen how uh, our government leaders are terrible people. And we love it. Am I lying? We hate the idea of people ruling over us. But here's the thing. In, in a kingdom, in a monarchy, the king is reigning supreme. Any rebellion against him is a death sentence. God's kingdom is the same way. And your continuous rebellion against God and his kingdom will earn you two things. Number one, a death sentence. Number two, expulsion from the kingdom. The further people suppress the truth about God, they end up denying that he even exists in the first place because they know that if God does actually exist, they got some answering to do for the way they live their lives. So why not just ignore the fact that he's there? Why not just deny his existence? That way I can get away and do whatever I want. I like to call it credit card living, right? What do we do with a credit card? Take a credit card, swipe. Kids, we're going to Disneyland. Swipe. We need a new refrigerator anyway. And you, and you just rack up debt, every swipe of your card, right? And you say to yourself, I'll just pay that bill later. I'm not worried about it right now. That's the same thing we do to life. And, and every time we sin, we charge something against that card as a debt. Wham. Sin against God again. Sin against God again. And we say to ourselves, but I'll pay that bill later. Church, I'm telling you, there's a bill collector coming. Thank God for Jesus Christ who has come and said, but I will pay that debt for you. And you cannot pay it yourself because you have racked up a huge amount of debt. We are foolish people thinking we can get away with just sinning willy-nilly. Yeah, I said willy-nilly. Sinning willy-nilly <laughs> against God thinking that we will not pay that debt one day if we don't trust in Christ to pay it for us. Here's the other thing. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven because people have exchanged the creator for his creation. Look at what it says in verse 22. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The word that the Bible uses here for fools could be translated as useless or worthless or senseless. So it says, claiming to be wise, they became useless without common sense. My grandma used to get on my head and she'd say, boy, you ain't got the common sense that God gave you. Paul would say, amen. <laughs> you, you are right. He does not. Look at what Psalm 14.1 says. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Look at what it says in Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You cannot continue to continue to deny God's rule and consider yourself having any kind of common sense. That's what those verses are saying. And we see that in our culture, right? People that we look to as the great thinkers of our culture are all saying there is no God. They, they completely deny his existence. You guys ever heard of Neil deGrasse Tyson? Astrophysicist, right? Great, great thinker. Seems like a pretty cool guy too. Like I'd go out and shoot some hoops with him. I don't know. I don't know the dude. He would not win, by the way. <laughs> but here's what he said about uh, God. He says, there is an absence of benevolence, meaning a, a, a reason for God. There's an absence of benevolence in the universe that I can see. 
completely oblivious. Here's this great mind, this great astrological thinker, and he can't even concept, he can't even conceptualize the nature of God. You guys heard of Stephen Hawking, right? Another great physicist, a great thinker. Here's what he's had to say about God. He says, we are each free to believe what we want, and it's my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created our universe. No one directs our fate. He goes on to say, we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. God help us that even the most advanced thinkers in our culture are fools in the eyes of God. Like I said earlier, we may not be bowing down to totem poles and statues of gods. Matter of fact, it reminds me of, I went to India for a mission trip, right? You go to India, there are statues of gods everywhere. Hindu culture has hundreds of gods. In every street corner, there's either a three-foot, a three-story tall uh, god or like little ones that you can put on your mantle. There are gods everywhere. Matter of fact, we were riding in a taxi cab and, uh, very scary by the way, uh, there was a taxi cab and a dude had a little uh, statue of an elephant and it had like all these arms. And you know those weird statues where they look at you like, but you can't get away from their gaze? You see, you're like, just like, stop looking at me. Whew, very strange. They have those gods. And we, we, like, we don't do that, at least most of us don't do that, but we definitely put particular things in our lives that are most important when God actually deserves that spot. Every time we sin, we deny God's rule or at least fail to truly care about it. And we suppress the truth about God's position over his creation because we'd rather listen to our own foolish, darkened hearts than God's majesty and his best wishes for us. God has revealed his wrath from heaven because we have said in our hearts, there is no God. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of this ship. We have exchanged the creator for created things. But the good news is God made his own exchange. God made his own exchange when he exchanged our sinful nature and practices for his own son's goodness and righteousness. God made his own exchange when he exchanged our eternal torment for Christ's torment torment on the cross. God made his own exchange when he exchanged our filthy rags for Christ's oxyclean robes. Brilliantly white. God's wrath has been revealed from heaven because we have completely denied his rule and said there is no God. But how has it been revealed? That's where we talked about God's passive wrath. God's wrath has been revealed through his passive wrath. And in this section, it's going to talk about how God gave them up to the idolatry, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind. Debased means just a worthless and senseless mind. That's what we're going to go through. Look at verse 24. God gave them up in their idolatry. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped to serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen and amen. Here's my question to you. What are you lusting after? What is it that you're lusting after? My kids, they watch this movie, right? And maybe your kids have watched this too. It's called Moana. I'm sorry, baby. 
Moana. See, she was on my head. She was, she was ready to get me. <laughs> Moana, right? In this movie, there's, there's this big giant crab. I think the, the picture's up here. Goofy looking dude. There's this big giant crab, and he's got his own theme song, because every Disney character has their own theme song, right? And so his theme song is, I'm shiny, and he just goes through talking about how shiny he is, right? And the things he's after in life are his jewels and the shiny things. Not knowing or not even caring that he's stuck at the bottom of the ocean. People can't even access who, like where he is. He can't even get out of the prison that he's made for himself because he's surrounded himself with his lusts. Doesn't know, doesn't care. I got my lusts. I'm not going anywhere. And then at the end of the movie, this dude gets stuck on his back can't write himself. I mean, granted, he's a crab, so they have a hard time anyway, but he can't, even, he can't even write himself because he's weighed down by the sheer immensity of the things that he worshiped greatest in life. Can't even get right because he'd rather surround himself and fill himself with lusts. What are you lusting after? Is it a new job? Is it that dude at work that pays more attention to you than your husband? Is it money? Is it power? Is it fame? What is it? Is it that person's body because they look better than you? What are you lusting after? Is it, is it their kids? Because your kids are, woof. <laughs> what are you lusting after? God knows. And you know. And oftentimes we don't even see our lust in a bad light, right? We see it as, uh, they're, they're a good thing. Like this is the spice of life. This is how I drive myself forward and keep going. And we say, we read a verse like this and we say, well, if God is handing me over to my sin, uh, okay, because this is kind of fun. But it's the product of a corrupt mind that would take God's passive wrath as an opportunity for further self-indulgence. God in his wrath has given us over to our idolatry. That should crush us. To the chasing after the things that, that seem to always be just out of our grasp. And then if by God's, God's passive wrath we do actually attain those things, they're not, they're not as good as we thought they were. So we put those aside and we chase after something else. And God is saying the whole time, I want you, I want, I want you. Why are you chasing after that? It's going to perish. I'm eternal. Come to me. And the cycle just continues. We go over and over. God has also given us up to dishonorable passions. Remember, I keep saying us because this is all of us. Gave us over to dishonorable passions. Look at verse 26. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God have mercy. Now, I am going to keep this as PG as I can. It's very obvious that this passage is talking about homosexuality. All right? God has a created order in the things that he's made. Matter of fact, this word here that's, uh, that's used for natural in the Greek is pronounced phusis for you, for you Greek lovers out there. Phusis. 
meaning that God has a, a created order, a, a very particular way that he has made things and expects them to operate. And when he gave a man over to a woman, he said, this is the natural order that I want this relationship to occur. And anything outside of this is dishonorable. It's ungodly and it's unrighteous. And you are not doing what I created you to do. Anything. In anything that's outside of that created order. So that means not just the homosexual relationship, but the relationship you're having with the person you're not married to. To the relationship you're trying to form at work because somebody's paying attention to you. To the stuff you're watching on your computer. All of it is shameful, ungodly, and unrighteous. And God's wrath has been revealed from heaven. And God, in a lot of times, has given you over to the lust of your heart. And he says, you know what? You want that? Go get it. Let's see how you do. Paul uses that word phusis here in the Greek because people cannot, with good conscience, say, well, this is the way I feel, so I'm, God wants me to do what I feel, right? It feels good, so I'm going to go do what feels good. You can't say, but I love him, and we're going to get married anyway. You can't say, well, I don't, I don't feel the way I look on the outside, so I'm going to go through some cosmetic surgery to match those two together. Cannot do that and remain within God's natural order. I love him. And then what's even scarier, right? Sometimes God's passive wrath gives way to God's active wrath. That's what, that's what Paul is describing here when he says, and they received them themselves the due penalty for their error. And so God says, you want that, you go have it. And then sometimes it's an STD. Sometimes it's getting found out by your spouse. Sometimes it ends up in a bitter divorce because you feel like you got to, Deny God's rule. It's offensive to God. We live in a world where we come across real consequences for our active choices. But God's wrath has been revealed from heaven against all that unrighteousness. God also gave us over to a debased mind. Look at what it says in verse 28. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, meaning you yip yap behind people's backs, and slanders, meaning you undercut their reputation with the rest of the world. Haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. You can't even do evil the, the good way. You got to go invent new ways to do evil. <laughs> Disobedient to parents, children. It lists this in the same aspect of murder. God's wrath is against your disobedience. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. God's wrath is specifically directed toward everyone who deliberately or not suppresses the truth for the sake of their evil wills. 
You ever talk with somebody who's so open-minded, they just say the craziest stuff, and it only makes sense to them? So I'm, I'm going to let y'all in to a little bit of my personality, right? You want to drive me crazy? Put me behind a car with that coexist bumper sticker. As if God is not greater than those things. As if we don't serve the living God who is the creator and sustainer of all things. As if he could be put into a box with the rest of those things. As if Muhammad is not dead. As if Gandhi is not dead. As if all those things have not passed away. And I wish I had a DJ up here on the stage because he would cut in right now. He'd be like, our Christ is alive. We don't serve a dead God. He is living and ruling and reigning from where he's at right now. We don't serve dead things. We don't give our lives to dead things. Our Christ is alive. He got up. We serve, a guy who, we serve a God who could not stay dead. Death couldn't even come against him. He's so powerful. That is the God we serve. Here's my last point. We are all deserving of this wrath from heaven, from God. Look at verse 32. It says, though they knew God, though, though they know God, God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give their approval to those who do. Teen moms. Girls going out and getting pregnant on purpose so they can be on a TV show. Real housewives. We love watching their drama. Giving approval to everyone who commits these evils. You can pick whatever you want to to put in that box. Now I know there's some of you who will say, but I don't do any of those things. Those, those listed sins, so I'm good. Here's, here's what I would say to you. Number one, this list is not all-inclusive. <laughs> and um, if you didn't hear your particular sin on this list, don't try to weasel your way out of letting the Holy Spirit convict you. Here's the second thing I would say, and it comes from James 4, 6. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you didn't see your sin on that list, bow yourself before a holy God and say, God, how have I offended you? I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And beg for God's mercy and grace. Because he says, those who ask, I will freely give. Guard your hearts, folks. Even Christians are in danger of experiencing God's passive wrath. And most times it's not this full outright rebellion of God. It's usually a gradual slipping away. But Paul describes how it starts. Look at verse 21. He says, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. It starts with ingratitude. That we don't wake up every day of our lives and say, God, thank you for that breath. Thank you that I didn't pass away while I was asleep last night. Thank you for giving me gas money so I can get the job, to get to my job to feed my family. All things belong to you. You have entrusted me with a little bit of it, and I'm so thankful. Because we don't do that, Paul says the next thing that happens is our brains become futile. 
says they became futile in their thinking. That word futile can be translated as vanity. They began to think everything was about themselves. This is my job. This is my money. These are my things. And because of that, because they have an ingracious heart, because they're vain in their thinking, the Bible says that their foolish hearts were darkened, meaning that God completely removes the light of light from around them. It says, you want it, you go get it. And like fools, they, they wander around in the dark, usually bumping into everybody else, making, the, making their lives terrible. And then the, the worst thing of all, look at verse 24. God ends up totally departing from the person's life. It says, since they exchanged essentially the creator for God's creation, God gave them up. Oh, we should shudder at the thought that God would give us up to our sins. So I don't want you to hear me saying that God's wrath is a negative thing because his wrath is not set against his people. It's set against unrighteousness and ungodliness. And listen, if something has happened to you that somebody has done despicable things to you, God's wrath is against that. God loves you, does not want you to suffer that way. And he will exercise his wrath against those unrighteous and ungodly things. I also don't want you to hear me saying that if you're experiencing God's passive wrath right now that you can't come back. He's inviting you back. He said, just have a thankful heart. There's this, there's this parable that Jesus told about a father who was looking out of the porch because his son went away. And he, every day he's looking out of his porch, begging in his heart for his son to come home. That's your God. That's your father that's waiting for you to come home. You don't have to stay out there in your idolatry and your foolishness. The good news is that at the, past, at the core of this passage about God's passive wrath and how it's been revealed from heaven against our ungodliness, we also see God's act of wrath in this passage. But his act of wrath is not set against us. It was set against his son. God in his act of wrath pushed those crown of thorns down on his head. God in his act of wrath pierced his son's hands and his feet. God in his act of wrath speared him in the side so that he would bleed out for your unrighteousness. God in his act of wrath sent earthquakes and darkness when his son was dying on the cross. He's poured out on unrighteousness. And then the good news of all that, the reason, why, the reason why we can sing with joy when we come here on Sunday mornings is in verse 16 because it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, this message that Christ has died for our sins. I'm not ashamed of it. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Not just the Jew, but to the Greek too. For in it the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God has been revealed, not just his wrath. His wrath, we're, in, we're, we're messed up. We're in trouble. But he's also revealed his righteousness. And he says, you can come to me. Just believe in me. The righteous shall live by faith. It's not, it's not our righteousness and our faith that saves us. It's the faith and righteousness that comes for Christ on our behalf. That we can freely accept. And God said, welcome to the family. Come home. It is the only way we can truly live. It's by the faith that his son has provided. 
This passage is not to try to get you to change your behavior. It is to show you that God's wrath has been revealed from heaven. And the only relief we have from experiencing that wrath, whether it's God's passive wrath of him just letting us go, or his active wrath when his son comes back in terror. Regardless of how he's revealing his wrath, the only way that we can experience relief from it is to believe and rely on his son and his righteousness to change us from the inside out. That's my prayer for us this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for, oh my God, thank you for your son. There's nothing else we can say, but God, we give you praise. Every, everything that we read right here is condemning. That you've revealed yourself, but we ignored you. That we, that we actively participate in actions that are against you. But you didn't leave us. You gave us a savior who said, I will take that beat down on their behalf because they are mine and I love them. God, whether we are brand new to this whole Christian thing, never heard of it all, or we're 50 years in, we need you all the same. We keep running back to the things that are separated from you, God. Would you save us, please? God, build up our hearts. Draw us near to you. It's in the name of Jesus that I lift this prayer. Amen.